On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. We are just 24 hours away from one of the most eagerly anticipated games in Six Nations history. Ireland hosts Grand Slam champions France at the Aviva Stadium tomorrow and the excitement is building very nicely. Will Slattery here with you and on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast, I'm joined by French rugby expert and journalist Paul Edison to dig a little deeper into the team that are looking to take down Ireland tomorrow. And Paul, there's so many interesting things to discuss around this French team, the journey they've been on, the kind of the, the place they occupy in World Rugby now, 14 wins in a row. Maybe we'd like to start off with a little bit of context about, I suppose, the, the development of the team from when Fabien Galtier took over to now. It's been some transformation, you know, culturally, the, the setup that he's brought in. It's It's been a massive sea change in French rugby. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think that's certainly fair to say. Um you go back to, to 2019 Six Nations, which was probably when the decision was made that he'd need to come in. Um, they obviously, if you remember, they got embarrassed at Twickenham in a game where they basically just didn't have anyone in their backfield. And, and then they went to Dublin, uh, round four possibly. And again, they were just, they basically didn't touch the ball for an hour um, and got hammered. And and I think that was the point where they thought, actually, we need to really have a more professional setup. So he joined the coaching staff in, in the World Cup in 2019 as a kind of super assistant um, and was already kind of laying the foundations for what was going to follow. And then I think they they obviously knew they had a a home World Cup coming um, and they put the resources in. So they went and got Sean Edwards. They went and got a pretty pretty formidable coaching staff. And, I mean, opening up with that first win in 2020 against England, just off the back of their World Cup final appearance, it kind of showed that, yeah, they were a bit, bit more serious. He's kind of widely regarded as the best technical coach in France if um, a few question marks over his kind of <laughs> human aspects and uh, kind of how he manages people day to day. But I think from an international side of things that actually works better than in a club where you obviously have to kind of be with people day in, day out, all year round. Um, and yeah, they've uh, they've got to a level of consistency in selection and in performance, which uh, which we certainly haven't seen for well over a decade, if not longer. Yeah, and one thing that kind of jumps out to me is that, you know, traditionally maybe in the past, I don't know if this is a generalization or not, that French players mightn't have been as receptive to coaching as some of the other nations in terms of like strong-willed coaches or really technically detailed coaches, whereas this group seemed to have really embraced, as you said, this all-star coaching ticket. You know, what do you think has prompted that from the players' point of view? 
Uh, I think part of it is a new generation. They've come through the academies. They've come through. I mean, there are different systems in France. So for a while, it was um, one centralized academy, and then it's moved to kind of more. Each of the clubs has their own one, but I think they've just grown up in a professional setup, um, and so they are used to that. Obviously, varying levels depending on the different clubs, but they they do have a level of professionalism across the board. So when they come into the national team, they are a bit more receptive. And then I think, yeah, it's just a, a mindset change as well, realising that kind of the the old kind of French flair kind of trope, as much as it was uh, great fun to watch, you can't just rely on kind of playing off the cuff and you, you have to have a certain level of kind of foundations in place before you can kind of try and play the, the magical stuff, which obviously there are still people capable of doing. Yeah, and one thing that it's kind of funny to think back on now, and I know some players still have to do it who play in France but don't play for the French team, is that like Antoine Dupont and the Toulouse players might have had to go back next week and play for Toulouse in a, you know, a, a big derby against, you know, a local rival, whereas the Irish players and other have their feet up and, and kind of preparing. Like that, that was a massive kind of win for the French national team to kind of get that bit of control as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was a, a huge change. Um, and and when you look back at like your Santandre era or, you know, best people like that, it's they were basically trying to to coach with one hand behind their backs when they, they had players a week later than every other team, they would lose them during the um, the rest weeks. They'd obviously almost certainly lose one or two players to injury during that time. Um, whereas Galtier has got his forty-two man squad for for every um, meet up, every camp, and then he lose he goes down to twenty-eight, but it's still a pretty big group for the last few days of preparation before a match. They also quite often will train with the under twenties or with an espoir group from one of the clubs. So um, it has been it has been a, a massive change in terms of how they prepare. Granted, this week, probably not the, the ideal scenario, six days, and they've spent the first half of the week in Rome and never actually gone back to France because it's quite a, a sharp one doing two, two back-to-back away games in such a, a short turnaround. Yeah, and one thing you kind of mentioned there, obviously there's still French flair, they can still strike from anywhere, but they have a kind of a probatic style as well, especially with their kicking game. You know, they, they've kicked more and for more metres than I think any team in World Rugby over the last 12, 18 months. It's been a winning formula, but is, what, what do the French people think of this? Are they still happy to be winning as long as they're winning? Or are they kind of thinking, God, is this the way we want to play? We prefer to maybe have our little kind of throw the ball across the face of our own post and stuff like that. Um, it's tricky because, yeah, you look back to, well, you think back to what, 91 and that, <laughs> that Santandre try at Twickenham is kind of etched in the memory. But then also remember it was a, a game that they lost because England used to just kick penalties all day long and France would score the tries and, and come out on the wrong side of it. Um I think it's it's about striking a balance. I think there were times in November where people thought that they were a little bit overly conservative and even the coaches have come out and admitted that and that they wanted to kind of scale back what they were doing. But then they thought players maybe took it too much to heart and were kind of unwilling to kind of step out of the, the game plan um, when perhaps there were opportunities to, to go a little bit more expansive. Um, I think they stepped it up a little bit in in Rome um as tight a game as it was when they had ball in hand they did look very dangerous um and it probably says a lot that Tomahamos is starting at fullback he's I'd certainly an attack-minded player rather than Jaminet who's probably more of a kind of he's got a longer kicking game and, and slightly more pragmatic so I think they are going to try and be a little bit more um expansive in the way they, they approach the game but yeah French people I think while you keep winning people will be happy enough if um, if they start losing, it's not much fun to watch. Then that might be more of an issue. Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, in terms of this weekend, 
interesting comments from Roman into Mac earlier in the week saying he thinks Ireland are comfortable favourites despite France, you know, coming off the back of their 14 wins in a row and their, their Grand Slam champions. Like, do you think there's a bit of kind of mind games there or do, do the French believe that Ireland are, you know, with their world number one spot that they are in a really strong place? It's an interesting one. I think for Untermac and some of the Toulouse boys, they've obviously had a few tough trips to, to Dublin to take on Leinster. Obviously, they did pretty well against Munster last year, but I think that might be kind of part of it that they, because as much as obviously there's quite a few people missing, so this isn't as Leinster dominated a team as normal, they still look at kind of Leinster and Ireland as the same thing. And that's the one thing that Toulouse have really struggled with since they've kind of come back to the forefront of, um, of the European game. So I think they're probably being relatively honest there. I'm sure there's a few mind games in there and they're probably going to go out and still fancy their chances of of winning. They've obviously won in Dublin, but not won in Dublin with a full crowd. So um, this is a big one for them. I think if they do, it probably is the biggest test they've faced under Galtier. And if they do that, I think they provided there's no major slip-ups afterwards, they'd probably fancy themselves as pretty strong favourites for the World Cup. Whereas otherwise, I think there'll be three teams, maybe four, who all be of a similar level of favourites going into that tournament. How would you say France are apo- approaching the Six Nations generally? Because obviously, you know, winning the Grand Slam last year and ticking off some big boxes against teams on home soil in some ways is a more accurate pre- preparation for a World Cup when you're at home and you have the crowd on your on your side, but you need to deliver in front of that home crowd. Whereas going to Ireland, I agree with you, though, would be a massive test. But is it quite the must-win game? Like you could argue it's probably a, a bigger game for Ireland potentially to, to win this for a psychological boost rather than France. Like, Are they approaching the Six Nations going all out to win it, to defend their Grand Slam? Or is it more, let's kind of obviously try to win the games, but kind of have a view to the World Cup as well? They've certainly been talking the talk as if they're trying to win the, the tournament and they're certainly not going to, going to go into any games not not trying to win it. Um, I think, as you say, a defeat for them would, would be a blow, but I think they could live with it. I think for Ireland, it would psychologically be quite tough to think they've gone four years without beating France, um, knowing that there's a decent chance that they might end up meeting in the quarters. Um, so I think that would be more of an issue for... for it, it probably does mean more for Ireland in terms of they almost have to win um, for France, yeah, I, I think provided they win one of the, the trips to Dublin or Twickenham, they'll probably think, OK, we've done what we needed to, because Twickenham's the only place they've not won under Galtier. So that's probably the one where they think it's quite good to get get that one kind of that monkey off their backs. Um, and then, yeah, everything is still World Cup focused as much as they want to, to go back to back. And obviously, if, if they were to do back to back slams, which I think would be a stretch, but if they manage it, then that would also equal the, the world record for for most wins in a row as well. So kind of there's things to aim for, but everything will be forgotten if they can get the World Cup. That's the that's the big prize. Yeah. And what was the reaction generally to the performance against Italy? Obviously, you know, opening up that early lead and then kind of having a dogfight to the very end. Like are people saying, ah, oh, you know, first game, a bit of rustiness, or is there any kind of concerns about how the team are prepared for, for the Six Nations? Um I think there's a little bit of disappointment. They obviously kind of had a couple of hard-fought wins in the autumn against Australia and, New Zealand, um, Australia and South Africa. And then this one, it was just a discipline that was such a nightmare. Kind of, They were looking very comfortable and then they just couldn't find a way to kind of slow the ball down. There was um, Galtier, they showed some footage of him in the, the changing rooms at half-time kind of saying, we said you have to be really, really hot at the breakdown. And he basically said, stop putting your hands in the rock. You can't do it. Like You're not going to get rewarded seven penalties conceded, no turnovers. So they, I think they were frustrated at the way they kind of didn't manage that. So that's going to have been a work on all week. 
and it's been a little bit of a concern. Um, there are a couple of players who were maybe a little bit off their best. Paul Valencia didn't shine on his return, um, having missed the autumn. Charles Olivon, four penalties conceded for a player of his experience. Granted, not that many international caps, but he's been around for a long time. I think they were a bit disappointed with that. But they've stuck with the same team. They obviously have faith in what they're doing. I think the coaching staff, at least, and I think the fans will will get there and accept what um, what they've done and kind of the fact they've kept winning, even if it wasn't a perfect display. Yeah, it's funny, like from an Irish perspective, we're obviously always very kind of vigilant of whether a team has peaked too early coming into a World Cup year. Obviously, in 2018, Ireland won a Grand Slam, similar to France this cycle, and didn't really deliver. Is there any concern that France might have kind of emptied, not emptied the tank, but maybe have been so good in 2022 that teams might have fig- might figure them out this year or they might have kind of peaked a little too early? Like, what is there any kind of little lingering or nagging kind of concern amongst French people that could be the case? Um, there's a little bit of a concern in the autumn that their attack was, or that teams were adapting to how they played and, and were finding ways to kind of negate or nullify some of their strengths. And yet they still obviously won, won every game. So kind of there's only so much you can take from that. And I think it's probably a stretch there they've worked out. The club sides have been a little underwhelming in Europe. Um, I mean, La Rochelle and, and Toulouse obviously won four from four, but the others were not great, particularly Racing and Montpellier, I think would have, hoped for a bit more from them some of the others it's hard to read because they just don't really take it that seriously if you kind of if you lose an early one or you've got a few injuries um in terms of peaking i think just because of the age profile of the squad it's quite hard to think of them as peaking i mean they're most of them will still be kind of there or thereabouts in four years time let alone for this world cup so i don't really see too much reason for them to to fall off dramatically but um but this will be a huge test for them and kind of a big test for the staff as well to, to come up with a, a tactic to kind of try and negate the uh, the Irish game. Yeah, in terms of Saturday, like how do you think to get see the game playing out? Like I obviously Ireland want to play at a quick tempo, you know, put have a lot of ball and play time. Like I could see France kind of trying to go the other way down, even though we associate them with playing some great rugby, you know, using that kicking game, relying maybe on their forwards and slowing the game down. So it could be more of a an arm wrestle and a, maybe a penalty, you know, stopping penalties than we think of maybe a real high scoring, try scoring fest. Yeah, they'll certainly they won't want to take any risks in in their own half. That's pretty much what they've been been like the whole time. They have a slightly different kicking game to pretty much anyone else. They don't really kick to contest. They just kick deep. And I guess with DuPont, that helps because he's probably got the longest kicking game of any any nine. So I think that's partly what they'll aim to do. Obviously, we've seen the last couple of times they've played Ireland, they've managed to have the, the kind of power to kind of outmuscle them at the breakdown and, and get on top in the set piece. It was a little bit... It was a bit of a struggle early doors against Italy. That first scrum, I think they were under a bit of pressure. Um, and then ball defence has not been great for the last six months or so. So that will be something they've worked on a lot, I'm sure. And it will be an area of concern. But yeah, I don't think they're going to try and open it up too much. Um, just because, yeah, you can't you can't afford to give Ireland too much ball, especially if it's um, with an un, unstructured defence or against a, a, a defence that isn't set. So um, yeah, I'm sure they will be pretty pragmatic. Yeah, and how do how do France view Ireland at the moment? Obviously, you mentioned earlier, like Ireland haven't beaten them during this cycle. La Rochelle have beaten Leinster in some major European contests that have definitely left some scars on this side uh, of of the water. Anyway, like, do they feel like they kind of have Ireland's number, or they're in like their heads, or you know, how would you view that? Um, I th- I don't think they look at Ireland as like the best team and the team to aspire to just because as you say they, they've obviously beaten them three times in this um in this cycle I think they probably 
looked at that New Zealand game just because of the historical value of like historical strength of New Zealand as a, a huge one to win, and then South Africa as well, champions as a, a massive one to knock off. Um, I think they put Ireland in that same category now as kind of those sorts of teams, but I don't think they kind of will put them on a pedestal above above anyone else. Um, but yeah, if they lose this one, I think that might change uh, change their minds. And certainly, as I mentioned with the Toulouse guys, they they uh, certainly look at Leinster as the team to beat at a European level. So um, they're very much aware of kind of how dangerous the, the Ireland team can be with that Leinster kind of backbone. Yeah, you mentioned Ant- Antoine Dupont there. You know, obviously a worldwide rugby superstar. Like, what what's the kind of status in France generally now? Has he kind of reached this like superstar celebrity level? Obviously, maybe not quite a an Mbappe like figure, but you know, is he is he has he kind of penetrated past the rugby audience and is he kind of like a a massive kind of icon now in France generally? Would you say? Yeah, he's he's certainly taken a step beyond kind of rugby stardom, um, which there's not been for a long time in France. Um, like you're probably looking back to Michelac, Chabal to an extent when they had the World Cup over there. Um, and then I'm trying to think, Castagnier going back a bit further. So that sort of kind of era has been quite a long time. Um, I read quite an interesting piece by, I mean, it's like in the Times today, actually talking about Dupont, his kind of superstardom and people speaking about the difference being that his level just never drops. Like Freddie was great to watch, but obviously it was not kind of, most consistent day to day and Chabal was as much the image as everything else. But Dubois is just kind of even on a game in a game where you think he's not done a huge amount, he's still kind of putting in the tackles, making the meters and kicking miles and basically his seven out of ten performance is pretty much as good as any scrum half in the world. Um so from a rugby perspective, yeah, he's become an absolute superstar and he's now appearing on things that are not kind of rugby specific, whether it's obviously that famous GQ cover uh, cover shoot but also he'll be on kind of day daily tv things or he'll he'll pop up a bit all over the place and um, i don't think he's kind of desperate for the limelight and he's not the biggest talker but he has become a superstar well beyond the realms of, of just rugby yeah it's funny in ireland we're always very worried if johnny sexton goes down he's so important to how they play ireland and you know is there a backup there you know do, do the french say the same about dupont i know they do have a lot of nines in the top 14 who are good players but in terms of dupont's influence you mentioned there how consistent he is is there a similar kind of like you know worry and narrative going on in france that if dupont was to get injured like is the french world cup hopes is that is that like almost terminally dashed um I wouldn't say terminally dashed. It's, it's tricky because I think there's such depth at nine in France that um, he's just he's just so good though. Like he's just a, a level above every nine in the world and by quite a distance. I think mainly because he he's almost just a different sort of player. Like you have like Aaron Smith is a great nine, Fat de Klerk, Gibson Park, they're different styles, but they they are very good at what they do. But Dupont just does much more than just what a scrum half does. So it, in that way, he'd be quite hard to replace. Baptiste Couillou, who's, who's going to start at the week, or who's going to be on the bench at the weekend, I think is probably the closest comparison. Not, can't offer as much, but in terms of kind of pretty rapid, always there on the shoulder. I mean, he's I think he was first or second in terms of tries in the top 14 last season. And he's probably the most like-for-like replacement. Um, obviously won't have the same sort of leadership and kind of, gravitas within the team just because no one can um so he is tough to replace but then i think Guyu, if he were from another country and had come through the ranks like he would be very much in the 
kind of running to start for most teams. Like he, he's a very, very good player. Maxime Lucu has done well in a slightly unusual role as kind of a, a conservative um, player off the bench. You usually obviously want your kind of impact nine to lift the tempo and he's more the other way. He's managing the game when he comes on and they have shown a bit more trust in him. He, um, there were a couple of years ago when Dupont played 80 minutes in Dublin, he played 80 minutes at Twickenham. And then last year, they went to Luca a few times in close games in Cardiff. They went to him. They went to him late on against Ireland in Paris. So they have a bit more trust in those people. And obviously, Dupont missed the last half hour against South Africa and they managed to get over the line. So they can survive without him. But he's also so good that if they lose him, that would be a massive blow. We'll finish up with a key question, Paul, that we've been building up to across the our podcast. Ireland or France on Saturday, who do you think is going to win? Uh, I'll go Ireland I think they'll, uh, they'll just get over the line oh, that's what we wanted to hear what a great way to sign off and I'd like to thank Paul for joining us on our podcast today we'll have another podcast after the game looking back on Ireland versus France and in the meantime you can subscribe to us on Spotify or listen on independent.ie so until next time thanks for listening and goodbye